Welcome to Conversations, a podcast featuring conversations about life, theology, scripture, church, and everything in between. Hosted by Genesis Church in Mexico, Missouri. Find out more at www.genesisbegins.com. Welcome to another uh, Conversations podcast, and uh, today I have Preston Thompson uh, with me. We'll be talking about fear, uh, yours and others, and uh, before we get into that, uh, I'm Jeff Stott, by the way. I I realized the other, Preston, by the way, I realized the other day I was listening to uh, a podcast, and I realized if they don't know who I am, I have never said who I was in any of the podcasts, never. And, 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 and really what generated that thought was, okay. So in one of these episodes on this, in this emotional discipleship series, uh, Chris was, it was more of Chris interviewing me. And, uh, cause I had, I had, I had did my dissertation on emotional discipleship. And so he was interviewing me on some stuff. And so, and that's when I realized that cause he introduced me. <laughs> You know, today I'm talking to Pastor Jeff Stott, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I, I began to think, have I ever introduced, have I ever said my name? And uh, so as I was listening to some of those others in the past, I thought, I never have. So no, anyway, Jeff. if you've been listening to us for the last five or six episodes, my name is Jeff Stott. What are you going to say, Preston? I will say, uh, I see some gray. Uh, do you have to introduce yourself each morning, look in the mirror and say, I, I'm Jeff Stott? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, just make sure I'm not alone. Yeah. Just make sure I'm not alone. You know, when you get older, you have to remind yourself who you are. <laughs> and also, by the way, my wife says that because I have, I'm terrible with names. Oh, I am like, I mean, as a pastor, that's a bad quality, by the way, but mm-hmm. I am terrible with names. And Pam tells people all the time, she said, within one year after she dies, I will be asking the children. Now I was married to her, but what is her name? <laughs> oh, so uh, no. I, I don't know what that says about me, but anyway. <laughs> okay. So, uh, all right. We are in the middle of a series on emotional discipleship. And if you didn't hear the first one in the series, uh, where we talked about what is emotional discipleship, uh, emotional discipleship is the intentional process of developing and maturing our emotions with God's word in a relational environment so that we can help others grow emotionally in Christ as well. Okay. There's a lot there in that definition. Uh, but, um, I, I would have just encouraged you to go back, listen to the, the first one in this series. And I realized that the phrase emotional discipleship may be new, uh, to a lot of folks, because uh, a lot of Christian discipleship material is usually intellectually driven, you know, memorize this, know this, memorize this, know this. And, um, and I mean, there are some emotional elements in it, but it's usually not a major part of it. But in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, what to do with anger, uh, grief, fear. That's what we're talking about today is fear, uh, jealousy, and being easily offended. And so I think this will be helpful. Uh, the last podcast we did on anger, Billy Johnson and I discussed what is anger, and then we examined the anger ladder, uh, which is very common in the anger language world, and uh, uh, it's just 
you know, you start calm and it goes all the way up to being to the level of rage. And there's about five or six steps on this ladder. And Billy and I just walked through them. And uh, Billy brought a unique perspective because he's a police officer and he deals with people's anger quite often. And so he was, uh, and he, and he knows the word and he's a godly man. And so, uh, it was, uh, that was a good conversation. And, uh, so today, uh, we do have Preston Thompson with us. He is the director of missions, uh, for, uh, this area. And he has been with us before, uh, last time he was with us uh, several weeks ago, uh, he helped us uh, think through evangelism and reaching others from Christ on an individual level, but also on a church level. And so uh, I have invited him back to uh, just talk about fear, um, just in general. We're, we are going to talk about fear in the sense of personally, but also we're going to talk about fear and what hinders Christians and churches and from moving forward and doing what God would have them to do. And so I think Preston will bring some uh, good stuff in there. And so today, just to unpack it, give you the big picture, we're going to talk about the five types of fear. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, fears that hinder Christians. There's three of them that I want us to address. And then we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time and wrapping it up on how we should respond to fear. What does God's word say about it? And um, now, uh, so, all right, Preston. So here we go. Now I'm, I want to, I want to give you the first question here. And we're going to break this into two parts. Uh, I, I want you to talk to me a little bit about what were you afraid of as a child? All right. And, um, and then we're going to talk about what we are afraid of today as adults. So let, let's not talk about the adult one first. All right. You go first on the child fear and then I'll go on the child fear. So what are some fears you had as a child? Oh, there's many stories of my fear of heights um really yeah heights uh it's not so much like being on the side of a mountain like if i'm touching something like that's big and i have it right in front of me not a problem i love to fly but roller coasters and being near an edge or someone else being near an edge sent me over the I, i'd be in the fetal position over next to a wall so yeah <laughs> i i still have it so it's bad. Okay. So I see my wife's the same way and uh, she can't go to the edge of like a balcony, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And, and look yep. over it. She can't do that. Uh, I mean, she'll do it, but she will like, like, mm, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Run back off, you know? Um, oh, by the way, talking about uh, fears of heights uh, in roller coasters. All right. So me and one of my uh, kids, we were, this is when our kids were little. We were riding a roller coaster, man. I can't even remember where it was at, but all I know is, is that we got to the top, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? in top mm -hmm. and right before it starts going down, it just, it just stopped and we were stuck. And so they had to come up there and, um, uh, and they had to, you know, they, they unhooked everybody, you know, unlatched everybody. We had to get out and you're, we're walking on this little tiny <laughs> sidewalk thing you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. like way up there <laughs> and uh, uh i will say that was a little you know that's not something i want to do every day yep uh all right so here's my, okay so for me as a child uh i i i know this sounds weird but i had a fear of clowns mm -hmm. i don't i don't know why i mean I, 
there, there is a reason why, but I had a really a fear of clowns before, before the whole incident with these clown pictures in a dentist office. Okay. So while mm -hmm. the dentist was yanking teeth and, and drilling teeth and scraping teeth, you know, I'm staring at these clowns. And I, I think that just sort of, I associate clowns with pain and misery. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, and I also, okay, here's another one. As a kid, mm -mm. if I go to bed and I realize the closet door is still open, mm -mm. I, I, I cannot sleep with the closet door open. Uh, yeah. Because as a kid, there's something bad in that closet, <laughs> you know? And if he's, and if I had the closet door shut, he obviously cannot open it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in my childhood mind. Uh, but you know, we all start, we all have, you know, fears some fears are rational i mean there's a little there's danger there i mean heights i get that some are are irrational you know like clowns and closet doors you know that kind of thing um so now let's 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 grow up a little bit yeah yeah so as an adult um where what do you find yourself being afraid of, but what, this is a little bit deeper question. What are you afraid of that you have a, you, you really wrestle with, you know what I'm saying? That if you not, if you don't watch it, it's going to hinder what God wants you to do. Yeah. So that fear is fear of not being accepted. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, it's not even like fear of rejection. It's fear of not being accepted. And I, I had to come to the realization that and it was through like counseling, honestly. Um, but I do a lot of things like try to be the best and do more and do more and do more because like my parents divorced at a very critical age. And so if I did more, then I got love. And so it's like this acceptance was if I performed at such a level, then people loved me, people accepted me. So I was always fighting and, and still try to fight for that acceptance, which really messes with your, your personal walk with the Lord. Um, just always trying to be accepted by God, but the truth is he's already accepted us. And so, yeah, that's, um, I've, I've learned that over the years. Um, my wife has known it pretty much the whole time she can see it, but she's like, you need to self-discover this. You got to figure this out for yourself. But yeah. Um, I, I still try to please my father-in-law. Like I'm still trying to be accepted. I've been in the family for 20 years now. I'm still trying to be accepted. He <laughs> loves me, but that's just how I am. Man, I tell you what, okay. Us preacher types, we, we have issues. Oh okay? yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this is one of the most common ones. And the reason why I say that is because when I was thinking about this question, here's my answer. Uh, I'm afraid of rejection. Mm -hmm. But then I put, you know, in little brackets on my answer, you know, not being accepted, not being liked, yeah. uh, which that's what you just said. Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, but then with that, I, I decided to add another one. And for me, it's afraid of failure, but those two go together. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to be as good as I can be, succeed as much as I can so that I can somehow earn your acceptance of me. 
you know, and, um, I'm a lot better with that now, but, uh, uh, and you mentioned your parents being divorced. Well, see mine were as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was an ugly divorce. And so, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. So there was a lot of issues there and mom got saved in, in life. I'm not saying that she was, you know, all, you know, that she was innocent and everything, but, uh, so they both had issues. And so, and I saw all of that and, and what's this has carried over. So when I, into my adult life, when we, when Pam and I got married, um, uh, and not so much now, because after 31 years of marriage, you sort of kind of prove yourself. I mean, in the sense of Pam has proved herself to me kind of a deal, meaning, when we first got married, I'm talking for 10, 15, 20 years, we've been married for over 30. And, um, I would, I would ask Pam, I said, Pam, I said, I would go now, do you love me? You know? And she would say, Jeff, we've been married for 15 years. <laughs> yes. I said, well, but why, you know, mm -hmm. and I would drive her nuts with this. And, uh, and it turned into a joke where I, where she would, and even today, I mean, like, even like last week, she said, she'd say, uh, she said, I love you. Have, have a good trip or whatever I was doing, you know? And I would say, all right. I said, she, I said, if you really love me, I said, I need you to write a dissertation on 100 <laughs> reasons why, <laughs> because I know me and I struggle loving me. Okay. And so, yep. um, but there is this weird fear, anxiety or whatever, um, uh, still inside of me that I have to manage about, you know, being rejected in the sense of wanting to be accepted. Um, you know, the whole failure thing. And, you know, as a husband or as a parent or as a pastor, and to be honest with you, for those who are listening, when we get to the anxieties, um, I'll, you know, I'll unpack a lot of my journey through this anxiety of dealing with feeling like a failure uh, over the years and just trying to compensate in various ways and what the Bible has to say. But anyway, um, all right. So, uh, all right. So when we're talking about fear, um, okay. If you Google fear types of fear, you're just going to come, you're going to come across all kinds of ways to categorize fear because, uh, there are hundreds of fears. And so, uh, let me talk to you a little bit uh, for just a moment about this show called monk. Have you ever seen monk? Uh, a few times. Yeah. A few times. Okay. You know, all right. For those who don't know monk, Monk is an OCD, hyper OCD, phobia consumed <laughs> detective. <laughs> okay. Uh, he is very quirky. And the reason why I love watching Monk is because when I'm watching Monk, I go, oh my word, I do that. You know, <laughs> oh my, oh my goodness. That is me. <laughs> you know, on some things, not everything. But Okay. And there is an episode with Monk where he's talking about his fears with his, he has an assistant who's also a nurse, at least in the first three seasons. And so he's talking to Sharona, his uh, assistant, and they're talking about fears. And she mentions one of the fears and he has a fear of heights and he has a fear of milk and he has a fear of various things. And, uh, and so he starts ranking the fears. He says, no, he says, no, fear of milk is number two. Fear of heights is number one. And then number three, and, and his mind, he has ranked. 
And so depending on what he has to do is determined by how fearful he is of that item based on the rank. It's just, it's very complicated in his mind. Yeah. And, uh, and he, ha and he has all kinds of fears and, and I, I'm just saying this about monk because i don't want the listener to feel like man you know as they start thinking about fears they're afraid of this afraid of that afraid of this afraid of that sometimes you can get overwhelmed and think man i'm just a fraidy cat <laughs> you know mm -hmm. well god's got help for you i mean uh, that's the bible i don't know if this is true or not i didn't look it up but i've heard that there's uh 365 commands uh on fear on do not fear like one for every day of the year uh if that's true, which I'm, I'm pretty confident. If it's not true, it's close because there is a lot. Um, okay, um, I'm chasing a little rabbit there, and we'll cover some of that stuff when we talk about anxiety in the series. All right, so five types of fear. I want to run through these real, uh, with you real quick, and then we're going to spend most of the time on the last one. And the five are uh, appropriate fear, innate fear, acquired fear, godly fear that's the fear of the lord and then the fear of man and again we're going to spend the majority of time talking about the fear of man all right so appropriate fear what is that okay so this is a healthy fear that warns you to be careful for example you know you're you're driving too fast on a slow road and it, that can cause fear inside of us which tells us to slow down you know, it's, right. oh, we need to slow down. It's too dark. It's getting wet. Whatever you know, it's raining or whatever. So that is an appropriate fear. You turn. It's one o'clock in the morning. You're coming back from a trip. You miss a turn. You go through some neighborhood, and you're thinking, "Uh oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, this does not feel safe." There's, there's, you know, there's a logic and reason why you have this fear. That's a healthy fear. It's about safety for yourself and safety of others. You know. Uh, then you have innate fear. This is fear that has been with you since birth. For example, some people are afraid of heights. Mm -hmm. yep. Right. And they don't know why. Uh, some people do know why. I mean, they may have fallen off of something when they were younger. <laughs> so I just said, I'm done with heights, man. But for some people, they're, they're, they have a fear that as when they think back, they just had it their whole life. They don't even know where it came from. For yeah. them, it's, it's innate. It's almost, it feels like they were born with that fear. And, uh, but it also could have just come from nurture, pick up our fears that our parents are afraid of. Um, also acquired fear. This is fear that you have because of an experience that you had in life. Um, you know, you were playing with a dog, uh, when you were younger and the dog bit you. And ever since you've been afraid of dogs kind of thing. Okay. You just acquired that fear. And then we have a godly fear. We're going to talk about this for a few moments. Godly fear is a fear of the Lord that has deep respect and admiration of who God is talking about his love, his wrath, his wisdom, his mercy, his justice, uh, all of that. So uh, let's talk about this for just a moment because the Bible does say things like Psalm 33, eight, let all the earth fear the Lord, you know, let all the people of the world revere him. So, uh, Preston, how, okay. For you, when you think of the fear of the Lord, what, how would you describe that? Um, and how does the fear of the Lord help us in life? Yeah. Yeah. So it, the fear of the Lord is just a really, a, an honest evaluation of who we are in light of God, that Ooh, he is good. greater, um, than us. And so it's reverence. It is understanding his majesty and his power. Um, 
And so that should then shape us, um, shape us into who he wants us to be. Um, when we're in the right position, when we're not in the lead, but he is, and we understand his greatness and his, his majesty, like I said, then that begins to shape us into understanding this is, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here under God's, you know, purpose for me. And so what do I need to do? What is his plan for me? Not my plan. So that's. that's I, I I, okay. So if you heard me type, and by the way, uh, at the listeners, if you hear some typing, that means Preston says something really cool. And I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote what you said, where it's a, you said an honest evaluation of who we are in light of who God is. Yeah. I mean, man, that, that man, that's, that's a state. Um, because that, that's a game changer. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of things going there cause we have to have an honest evaluation of who we are, you know, and, um, we also have to have an honest evaluation of who God is. Yeah. Uh, and, and out of that, things produce. Uh, okay, so Psalms 110, verse 10, Psalm 110, verse 10, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so in light of our understanding of this fear of the Lord, how does that start the journey of wisdom? Yeah. Um, it puts us in place. The thing that I have in mind is like the cross, right? The cross is the destination for those who, who are, are needing a relationship with God. And it's the location that we are sent out from when we have a relationship with God, but like standing under the cross, that's, that begins our journey, right? The cross is bigger than us. The, what took place on the cross is bigger than us, but it, it's that beginning point that we are launched out of, but we can also come back to. And so the fear is that understanding of who we are in light of God, then it, we can always come back to that. That's like the foundation, but everything else is built upon it. And so it, it's like we can learn and we can, we can go through life and try to do things our own way. But until we come to that point, it's like, Oh, now I'm starting over again in a healthy way. It's that beginning um, of wisdom and wisdom is it, it should be, it's greater. It's learned. It, it's, it's that understanding is it's someone going before us. It's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge and experience put together um, is, is the wisdom. So that's where, I think we got to start. Well, okay. So for me, all right, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if I'm going to take the fear of the Lord to mean an honest evaluation of who I am in light of God, of who God is. Uh, and I have this incredibly deep respect for who he is, his character, his nature, it seems like that should be a natural flow into listening to what he has to say. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I don't respect somebody, if I don't have an admiration for who they are, it's very unlikely for me to take anything they say seriously. Yeah. 
Okay. So if I have this healthy fear, this fear, this godly fear, this fear of the Lord, if I've got this deep respect and admiration for who he is, then I'm going to listen carefully to what he has to say and think about what he has to say. And I think that's where the beginning of wisdom kicks in for us. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have it, you're not going to read the Bible. You're not going to talk to him. You're not going to pray. You're not, you know, you're not going to, even when the preacher's preaching a great message, you know, he's, you're not going to really listen to what's God saying to you through that, you know? Yeah. Um, so really this fear of the Lord, this healthy fear, uh, I mean, I think is extremely necessary if we're going to grow spiritually, but we've got to have that kind of, that kind of fear. And by the way, um, Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He ascends up. Pentecost happens, church is growing, all that stuff. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, and here it is, living in the fear of the Lord. That Okay, so what's happening there in Acts 9 is that they had this deep respect and admiration uh, for who the Lord was. And, uh, and obviously they were applying what, you know, uh, what the word had to say, and they were growing and reaching people, doing what God wanted them to do. And so, uh, man, you know, as I'm thinking through this, we probably need to have just a whole episode just on what fearing the Lord is and all the mm. verses that talk about it and just unpack some of that stuff, because I really don't think I, I, I'm not so sure that a lot of Christians understand this fear of the Lord thing and how important it is for their own spiritual growth. I just, I just don't think, cause I don't see it. And uh, some, I mean, as many Christians I do see it in, but generally speaking, I don't see it. Nope. Uh, and I definitely hate it when I don't see it in me, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, Jeff, you're not really, you know, I don't think you have a healthy attitude towards God today. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So let's move into the fear of man. Cause that's where we're going to spend the rest of the time. This is where people struggle. Um, Christian or non-Christian. Everybody seems to have this fear of the man. All right. So what is the fear of the man? So, um, all right, this is a fear that can be both physical and psychological. And so fear that people may hurt you physically or people may reject you which is interesting that our answer at the very beginning or one of our fears that we mentioned uh, was acceptance and rejection. <clears throat> so this is an unhealthy fear that we're talking about. This is destructive. It, uh, it disorganizes, it demoralizes. This fear is the kind of fear that will try to stop you from doing what God would have you to do. Th this is the kind of fear we're talking about. Um, Okay, let me read a verse and then we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the verse. So Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So a snare is a, you know, it's a lure, or it's a trap. You know, fishermen sometimes use snares to catch fish, hunters use various kinds of snares to trap, you know, other animals. And, uh, and Satan uses snares to trap human beings, according to Jeremiah chapter five. So one of those snares is the fear of man. All right. So how does the fear of man trap us 
and imprison us as God's people. Yeah. Um, it causes us to look at the world, right? It's like Peter walking on the water. Um, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to sink. And so it's a trap that we begin to look at the horizontal, not the vertical. So our trust is in God, but we, we see the physical, the people in front of us, you know, um, our jobs, our, you know, do people like us? It's all built, built on emotions where we have trust in the Lord, but we, we can see it. And so we try to, we try to please what we can see in front of us rather than, than God. And so that just entraps us in it. It begins to come in at every different angle. Um, and so it feels like we're always running into traps, but where's our, our focus? Where's our, our view on that? Okay. So, uh, for those who are listening, okay, press and I, we live in the state of Missouri and we live about an hour away from a place called Jefferson city, uh, which is the capital of Missouri. All right. So Preston, have you been to that, uh, prison? the old state prison museum. Have you been through not, that? Not yet. I grew up around Jeff city. I okay. remember when it was still in, in functioning and stuff like that, but it is on kind of like our bucket list. Uh, okay. to go to. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, they've, they've tore down a lot of the buildings and the tour part is still, they still haul all that stuff up, but, um, all right. I've been, I've been through that thing four times. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I am drawn to prisons. I don't know why I love taking tours of prisons. And so whenever I travel, I will literally Google any, any jails or prisons that are museums that I can go to. And, uh, all right. So here at this prison, something interesting happened that is related to our subject today. All right. So, um, the first time I went, uh, they take you into the old sales you know it's your typical you know if you if anybody ever seen any images of alcatraz where you got the multiple floors that go up you know in the balconies and that you know we got it's four or five stories in this one uh building and uh well at the very end of this long building uh it goes downstairs uh where the showers used to be and but there's also down in there that's what they call the hole all right and it's literally a, a hole and there's some rooms in the back where you step into this little hallway and there are these, there's these cells and they have these little slits on the doors with these bars and there's no windows and there's nothing. And, uh, the, uh, they will, ha they have thrown guys in there that created problems and they'd be in there for a week or a month. And one guy was in there for 21 years. And, uh, yeah. And he came out, wrote a book about it. Most people go crazy after a while because of what I'm about to tell you. Um, um, so when they're in there, it's complete dark and they only come out one hour a day. They shut the doors and the light, they, they didn't have any lights and they were in pitch darkness. And so to give us that experience, they let us go into the cell. And so, oh, there was about 10 of us in the cell built for like two people. I mean, it's a little tiny. There was 10 of us crowded in there. I'm in, I'm in the corner, uh, just standing there. Cause I'm a big guy. I'm trying to get out of everybody's way, you know? And so I'm up in the corner and my son, who's bigger than I am was standing next to me. And he, uh, and by the way, I'm six, four, the son I'm talking about is like six, five. And, um, 
and we're both, you know, in the 300 pound category, by the way, solid muscle. If you, if you can't see me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we're standing there and, uh, the, the tour guide says, all right, we're going to, um, uh, we're going to shut the lights out for a few minutes and let you experience, you know, what it's like to be inside one of these cells with no lights. And, uh, all right, there was a, and the, the doorway into the cell was about chest high. Back then they had them lower, so they wanted the guys to keep their heads down. So they would, and you had to duck to get into the cell. And so um, there was a guy actually in the doorway, and he was, he didn't come all the way in, he was just in the doorway. And um, uh, they, with the, they shut the lights out, and I'm standing there, and immediately I started my breathing started increasing, mm. you know, and, <laughs> and I, I, I had, I, okay. I've, I, I've never had a panic attack and I'm just going to assume this is what it, what it was. Cause I just, I've never had one. Well, I've had one other, and that's another story for another day. So I'm sitting there and I'm in this pitch black room and I immediately started thinking, I got to get out of here. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I am about to come unglued for some reason. And the, and the, the tour guide, he was down this little hallway and we could hear him talking. He was going on and on. And in my head, I kept thinking, shut up, <laughs> <laughs> turn the light on, get us out of here. Cause I'm about to lose. It. And I'm thinking later, I'm thinking, I don't know how that guy did it for 21 years, but anyway, mm. um, and then for, and, and after about two, we're only talking two minutes or something like that. Um, uh, a light comes on and, and the guy that was right there at the doorway of this jail cell, uh, he was gone. And I thought, <laughs> you know, but I saw, I thought, Hey, there's light. He's gone. Boom. I'm out the doorway. I'm out, my, I'm out the cell. I'm walking down the hallway. And there's a, there's two actually tour guides. There's one in the front, one in the back. And the lady that was tour guide in the back, she was, at the door that goes into the hallway with all the sales and uh, and i'm walking out and that's where that i caught up with the guy that was at the door because he must have knew he was probably gonna have some problems <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> he was wanting a quick way out so um she uh opens the door to let him out and she looks at me and she says hey we're uh uh you, you, we're not done here yet. You know, you can go back in. I said, and I, I'm trying to act all cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I say, Oh no, I'm good. Don't worry about it. You know, and I'm acting all manly, you know, and just walking <laughs> on nonchalant. Like, but in my head, I am running. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go outside and I go up to the top of the steps and, uh, and I'm waiting for, uh, for the rest of the group to come up and, uh, with me. And, uh, and I'm evaluating that whole scenario and I'm thinking, okay, so what, what just happened? Hmm. You know, this, where did this panic attack come from? Where did this fear come from? You know, where did the anxiety come from? You know, I have never had a problem with enclosed spaces. I've never had a problem with being dark places, you know, and um, I'm still processing that, but the whole point of that incredibly silly long story <laughs> is that fears don't fear of man or just fears in general, they don't have to make any sense. No. Okay. They're, most fears are not rational, you know, and um, just like, I mean, I, I can have a conversation with you, Preston, and say, look, 
none of those people in that cell were going to kill me. Yeah. I'm not locked in. I can leave anytime I want. I know that was only going to be just for a few minutes, you know, and, um, uh, I'm, I'm not in any danger. I'm not in any, nothing. I mean, but for some reason I had to get out of there quick because I felt a lot of anxiety, fear mm -hmm. or something, which I'm still trying to figure all that out. Um, <laughs> and I am not, that's an extreme example, but I am wondering if when we're talking about the fear of man, that a lot of our fears of man and what we don't do for God is based on the boogeyman in the dark. That's not really there. Yep. Yep. It's just irrational. And, I, and that is something I think many Christians have got to deal with uh, in ministry because there are the, you are going to face fear when you serve God, whether it's in a mission trip, whether it's in church, whether it's dealing with conflict, you know, afraid of that whole failure, rejection, all that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to have to somehow not get snared up. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, not get snared, get trapped, get imprisoned uh, to where we can't do something. And I want to tell you, <clears throat> I know I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, a lot of ministry is done in the dark. And what I mean in dark places. Yeah. I mean, because you're having to deal with people's sin you know, and you're having to bump up against their worldliness. Um, and, and, it, and we're going to have to find a way by God's grace to help us through all that. Okay. So with all that, any comments you want to add on to that crazy, that crazy <laughs> little journey I just have, have, that was one of those stories that just popped in my head. I just thought, I thought, I hadn't thought about that in a while. Yeah. You know? So you were talking about like the boogeyman and stuff like that and the ghost that we chase and the ghost yeah. that we think is coming after us. The interesting thing is the Bible tells us exactly who the the boogeyman is and also his what he's like his schemes and i love going back to the passage where jesus is led by the spirit out into the wilderness to to basically face every fear that we would have to walk through it unscathed and said hey i i did this for you you can trust in me i've, I've already done that and so well we can disarm the boogeyman if we put trust but it's in that moment where like your, your story, where we feel the darkness, we can't see, we, we don't understand. And it, it creeps up on us when we're not expecting it. And so that's where like, we need to, if we know the, what the snare is, we know what it looks like, then we're prepared for it. But do we prepare every single day? Like we can prepare like as pastors, we could prepare for Sunday and we're good at that, but Monday's coming also. And Mondays are dark places for pastors. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm a failure. I, my sermon bombed, that kind of stuff. And like, and we get the bad emails and the bad phone calls. And so we let our guard down sometimes. And then it's like, am I good enough? And all these fears of inadequacy, but we just preached with the power of the Holy spirit on Sunday, you know, it's, it's Elijah running from Jezebel after being on the mountain with defeating the prophets of Baal. It's like, dude, what happened? Well, I'm not there anymore. Like I'm scared right now. So, uh, we, we are crazy people. 
Uh, I want to tell you, I think every preacher is crazy. And uh, <laughs> absolutely. And because we are so, I don't want to say we're bipolar, or I'm not making fun of being bipolar or anything of that nature, but man. Um, okay. So I've been doing a lot of study on uh, anxiety just because, you know, I've got these podcasts coming up dealing with anxiety. And, um, and I've been thinking about this thing called an inner critic, which we'll unpack in a later episode. Uh, and the inner critic is constantly condemning and criticizing you mm-hmm. personally, you know? And so the inner critic for preacher, by the way, if you're not a preacher, this may not make any sense. You're thinking, man, that's just silly. <laughs> okay. But uh, I am going to rattle out some inner, inner critic things that create, uh, this whole this anxiety and fear that at least pastors and seem to struggle with uh there's an inner critic that says stuff like this man my sermons was not good today nobody cared about it you know what i'm saying uh waste of time uh if somebody doesn't hasn't been there in a couple of weeks oh great they're probably going somewhere else they don't like me anymore they don't like our church so they're going to go down to that new exciting church down the road you know, or, you know, pastors, when they go on vacation, they, they'll go to their son's church or some family member's church or something. And they'll, uh, and they'll, and, and it's usually a better church than their church, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you're thinking I'm allowed. And that happened to me that I was on, uh, took some time off and went to see my family down in Alabama. And I went to my son's church, which is a mega church. They have multiple services, multiple campuses, you know, the pastor's awesome. The worship team's like straight out of Nashville recording studios <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. And, and, and they've got all the bells and whistles. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a loser. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, it's like, man, if I was a leader like that guy, I mean, and I, but I was aware I was thinking this because the yeah. inner critic was already on my radar and I was paying it and I was intentionally been paying attention to how the that inner critic and and i've been writing down some things that i say to myself now here's the deal i want to say this you know does the devil do that kind of stuff absolutely but if you remove the devil and the demons and all that stuff because of your sinful nature you're still going to have this inner critic or mm-hmm. uh, that old brokenness is just going to go to these fears you know and when i value when i started evaluating all these uh the statements by the inner critic it really all came down to um uh the fear of being rejected slash accepted being in the fear of failure i mean that's yeah. what it, they all came to that it came down to some fear and uh and it's a real issue for pastors and other individuals you know especially when you're talking about feeling like a failure as a parent or a husband or wife or whatever um fear is a bad thing i don't like fear it just needs to go away (laughs) you said something that that brought a scripture to my mind and and really we see the fear of rejection in genesis genesis chapter three um where the fall has happened that you know adam and eve have now sinned and god comes into the garden walking where are you their first comment is we were afraid yeah well why were you afraid now there's a division we have been rejected by god they have already felt it they're trying to cover up their nakedness and and so the first words when when sin is in our life is we're afraid Mm -hmm. but then you fast forward 
to Matthew and Luke and the proclamation of Jesus and the angels coming to Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. And the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Oh, that's interesting. Jesus is here. Yeah. And so we have the fall, but now we have the the redemption, the the redeemer, the Messiah, the Lord coming. And the first words is, don't be afraid. Yeah. Oh, that's and, good. And, and so it's like, yeah, we see where our fear of rejection is. We see it at the fall. Mm-hmm. But where's our trust? Right. You know, our trust was, oh, I'm going to cover myself up. I, I'm naked. God, you don't know what's going on in my life and he's like no i'm i'm bringing jesus like this is i'm bringing the savior don't have to fear anymore yeah man that's good stuff because uh and we're gonna battle this brokenness our whole life Mm. you know because i I discovered that once i seem to manage or i don't want to say overcome as if it doesn't exist but once i overcome like a fear mature emotionally in some area then then it's like i realize oh my word I, now I, I just recognize this other fear i've got to deal with yeah. you know um it's like peeling back the layers you know and i tell you what god is a man he's a patient god oh my word oh, absolutely i would have given up on me a long time ago if i was god but i'm glad he didn't um okay so let's uh, move on here um all right, there are three fears that I want us to talk about that, uh, and we've already messed around with these a little bit, but uh, the three fears that I think Christians struggle with, churches struggle with, uh, maybe Christian leaders more than most, but uh, the fear of something new mm-hmm. changes, you know, and, and these are, there's actual terms for these. Okay, so this is called neophobia, the fear of something new, you know, changing. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the fear of criticism. And, uh, and then we're also going to talk about the fear of failure. So let's talk about this fear of something new and these changes and stuff and how that affects Christians and churches. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we don't want to change because change causes, um, it causes that inner turmoil. It, it causes us to, to give up something to sacrifice or it sometimes it causes us pain, and, but we're to be transformed. Um, God wants to shape us and wants to change us. We're not supposed to stay the same way. You know, the illustration, and I've, I've said it a ton of times is that the escalator that's moving downward, but we're trying to climb up it as soon as we stop, we don't stay at that level. We're, we're moving backwards, right? And so change means that the escalator is moving at the constant rate. Like, are we going to press harder to get, get further up? You know, but in churches, we're all sinners. We all don't want to change. And then we just create this organization, this, this formation of people. And then we're really set. Like, that's my seat. You don't sit in it. I don't care if you're a visitor. That's my seat. Or, you know, the memories were attached to all these things instead of going, well, what's God doing right now in our presence? What is he calling us to something that is greater to give him glory? Again, it's that I perceive what's here. This is my pew rather than, man, what is God up to for me? How am I being changed? Um, and when, when you have a church 
And when you're gathered with people that are focusing on being changed by God, worship is different. Church is different because God is doing something in them individually. And then you come together and you get to celebrate that. And then God uses you together. So, yeah, we need change. We don't like change. <laughs> okay. So we talk about transformation a lot as pastors, you know, bringing about transformation in our mind and heart and, and all that. Uh, part of, I think, the fear of something new uh, and change is, for one, is the unknown. Yeah. Okay. I'm not used to this. And what we don't understand, we normally don't like. Okay. All right. So uh, number two is it is very difficult to have true interchange personally, because that usually requires letting go of something yeah. that we really like. Yeah. Okay. So the rich young ruler mm. comes to Jesus says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus actually is answering his question. What else must I do to have eternal life? And uh, he tells him, well, go sell everything you have and get to the poor. Because he was all into the Ten Commandments and he thought he was a good guy. And he went away very sad. And so, uh, and in that moment of grief, for that rich young ruler, he was having to deal with the recognition that he had a God in his life and Jesus just pointed it out and it was his money. Yeah. And for him to actually change, he was going to have to repent of some things. Okay. For him to have this eternal life, not, this is not a work salvation at this because Jesus then talks to the disciples about the real gospel. But anyway, and because he was, again, Jesus was actually answering the rich young ruler's question. What else must he do? If he's going to earn the salvation, what does he got to do? Well, the rich young ruler didn't like that, his answer, because he, he wasn't going to do it because his stuff was too precious. But that was, that was how Jesus was bringing him to the point to help him recognize that he was a sinner. And so with the rich young ruler, that whole internal change that we got to give something up because Jesus had just talked about, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take mm -hmm. your cross. That's, that's all change language, you know, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to die to myself. This is hard, man. I want, I like, I like my stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. I like my rut that I'm in. Um, yeah. You said something there that was very interesting. I think you could do a, a, a lot of research on it, but Whenever we have a fear, we create a God in order to, to address that fear. And we're talking about like the fear of man. And so when there is criticism and stuff like that, we create that one person who has criticized us in the past to be a God that's always casting, um, you know, criticism or condensation on really pouring it onto us. But that's not what God is. We're replacing him because uh, he's a God of peace. He, he wants to change us, but it's a peaceful type of change. It's not a, uh, from the outside. And so, yeah, we create these, these idols, these gods to replace God. And it's, it's, it's normally a, a physical type of God. We have a fear. Well, then what is that physical God we replace that with? So, I don't know. It was something you said. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I, that's really good. Okay. So 
I think, okay, what happens is, is that, all right, so we're trying to follow Jesus. We're growing spiritually. We're doing ministry. We're serving people, loving people. And then somebody says something that is critical, that is mean, or, or we realize we're going to have to give something up. And, but what will happen is the fear of man will replace the fear of the Lord in our life. And so what happens is, is that person that is critical now, what they say becomes much more important to us than what God actually says to us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so now all of a sudden, if I'm hearing you right, that individual is now the, is really my God sort of controlling me emotionally in my life, dictating what I do and don't do because I'm afraid of them. Yeah. And we have those conversations in our subconscious, like, Oh, they said all these things. They haven't said anything. And, and we we're trying to battle with them and try to be better than them and overcome them. Yeah. Well, now they're just they're taking up all of the space that God <laughs> wants to control our minds. It's like, what? Did I just okay? Yeah, I I just made that person my God. And wow, that is really, really bad. Well, and then it it, it escalates <clears throat> because once you get into this fear of oh, whoever. Yeah. Uh, and you, you start having these phantom conversations, mm. you know, of what they, of what they think about you and how you're going to respond. And it's just this weird cycle that people go through. Um, okay. I I'm not sure if this is relates, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. So I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> this is my podcast. I can talk about what I want. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I've shared this thought with a few people the last week or so, and, uh, and I'm still trying to flesh it out a little bit talking about have, okay. So when we, when we become afraid or when we lose something like grief, you know, we're, you know, we got to lose a part of ourselves or let something go and there's grief and fear, man, they're so closely related. And, um, uh, okay. I will, I will, I have, okay. As a pastor, I have seen people do this or oh, they'll say, well, Jeff, I, I, you know, I just don't go to church anymore because, you know, I prayed for my son to get healed and it didn't happen. I prayed for my marriage to, you know, be restored and it didn't happen. Um, you know, I prayed for my, my dad or this new job that we really needed that would have been a blessing to my family and the, God didn't give me the job. And so they get angry at God. Yeah. Okay. And they quit God. All right. So they, the, and and I've had these conversations over the last 30 years, you know, enough times to where, you know, there's an issue here where people will quit God, they quit church, they quit praying, they quit reading the Bible, and they, they just quit God. They just don't trust him anymore. So my thought is that actually may be a good place for them to be. I think some people need, now I'm going to say something that sounds controversial. And if you hear this and turn it off, then it will make no sense. Okay. I think some people need to quit God because the God that they have been worshiping is not the real God of the Bible. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They have created this God that is based on their expectations, their standard, of who God is. And, it, and it's in these valleys of life, these moments where we are afraid, where we grieve in these dark places in life, where I think it's at those moments 
those seasons of life where when we quit the God we created, then God is able to introduce himself to us as the one true God that he really is. And I think that's when God begins to make more sense to us. If we embrace that, you know, and, and let God do what he has to do, do the pruning, do the, you know, the refining in the finer's fire kind of a thing. And I think for many of us, we, we, we want to get out of the Valley as quick as possible. We want to get through the grief as quick as possible. We want to get over the fear as quick as possible. When in reality, it's in those moments that I think we can grow the deepest and have a greater understanding of who God is. If we just simply embrace that moment and let God do his thing. Um, uh, so I'm just kind of thinking out loud here about this whole quitting God, but it's quitting the God we've created. Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, I had another thought, but I, I, I can't go, I can't go that far because I have to say that for another podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, if you have any issues with that, I'll give you Preston's email and you can talk to him about it. Right all right. So, all right. The fear of something new and changes we've already talked about. Oh, by the way. So this, uh, all right. Uh, something not so deep as quitting God, <laughs> but uh, I remember I've been around long enough that when I became a pastor, it was the time when the Willow Creek was growing, Saddleback was growing, okay, and um, five purposes of the church is going on, all that kind of stuff. I had, I became pastor of a church. I'm in my 20s, and there was a, a lady who'd been secretary for 17 years. And I was talking to her, and she was a senior adult, and I said, Hey, I would like, um, I said, well, I asked her, I said, how, how are you with computers? She said, don't know a thing about them. Don't want to know a thing about them. And I, and then she just said, and I'm not going to use one. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, you can have this church have computers in six months when I retire. Cause she was planning on retiring. And, and I thought, well, okay. All right. So, uh, we did. So we just, I didn't mess with her or that, that she still used the old typewriter with the different fonts. You know, you put them in, take them out, no electric <laughs> typewriter. And so, uh, and once she was gone, we brought the computer in and, uh, and there was a guy that was one of the deacons. He said, I don't think we ought to have uh, computers in the church because all y'all going to do is sit around and play solitary and games on that thing. You know? <laughs> and I'm going, oh my word, you know, but and that's when computers were new. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole yeah. idea of having a computer in church was, you know, um, man, we fought that battle. We fought when we started going from doing just hymns out of the hymn book to, you know, trans, well, back then it was transparencies. And so we had these little clear things put yeah. on this, projected on the wall. And so we started doing songs on that. People were, didn't like that. And then we were talking about uh, doing something different on a Sunday night, rather than having a Sunday night worship service, we would do something else. And, you know, and so every single new or change that I would bring up, it was a, it was a battle, you know, um, and there is something I think for churches and pastors that if we're not careful, we will let the lack of new and the lack of change just kill us. Uh, we will become a museum and we have to be careful there, you know, as we try to lead people. All right, let's uh, move on here. We're, we're pushing about... 45, 50 minutes already. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, um, I want to get down to this, uh, section on 
our defense against fear. And uh, most people have heard that, you know, the four natural responses to fear, you know, fight, you know, anger is fear. Anger is usually fear in disguise. You know, they say we may lash out verbally or physically at someone. Sometimes we flight, you know, when we get afraid, trying to escape from what we're afraid of. So that was me in the, in the hole, you know, trying to, I got to get out of here. You know, I'm either got to fight all these people in here or I got to run. So, uh, you anyway, know, flight uh, or freeze, you know, being very still and quiet until the danger passes away. This is where we say nothing or do nothing. And then another one is called fawn. We try to please and make uh, make everybody happy or make the person happy that's causing us fear. And so we appease them in some way and uh, in the hopes of just eliminating the fear. So, <clears throat> but the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Some translations say fear. Okay, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but... And then it lists three things, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Okay, so if a spirit of timidity is an attitude that is characterized by a, a, an attitude of being cowardly or shameful or, or a feel, fearful perspective in some way, how what is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline, and how does it help us battle against fear and timidity as believers i'll let you go first yeah so i mean <clears throat> spirit of power it, i think of the veggie tales song that comes <laughs> up, right god is bigger than the boogeyman um <laughs> but it, that spirit of power if we think about our our relationship with god is the power that rose on uh, that brought jesus out of the grave is the power that saves us and so that power is always going to be bigger than us and greater it's about do we trust in that power um and so it, i think a lot of stuff we do in the church is is weak right it's not based or dependent upon that power to move um just think about the people we're praying for or like oh god we we really hope that you'll save that person but do we really believe that i mean Every person has an opportunity to hear the word of God and repent. But sometimes we're like, eh, I don't think you're strong enough for that person right there. Or God, you don't know this in my life. Like, like we live our lives hidden. Like his power is not big enough for us. And so we have to, you know, well, another illustration, right? Is the outlet. The outlet on the wall has all the power, has all the electricity. But we have to plug ourselves into that power. I mean, we might be a light, but light's not even good unless it's plugged into the power. I know that's really bad analogy. Um, a lot of youth ministry days, but it, it is. I mean, what are we putting our trust in? All right. So uh, when I think of a, a spirit of power, I don't know. Okay. For me to help me understand the spirit of power, I, I think maybe it would be better to use the word confidence, a spirit of confidence. Okay. Because of who we are in Christ. Yeah. The resources we have. And uh, uh, okay. So earthly illustration, heavenly principle. 
Uh, okay. So I was blessed to play with, uh, uh, some very talented athletes. Okay. When I was in, in school and middle school, high school, and, uh, you know, someone went on to college division one. I mean, they, they, I was just, man, I was just around some really good athletes. Uh, and I remember walking out of the locker room, uh, going to the field to start warming up and stretching and stuff uh, on a Friday night. And uh, as we were walking out, somebody in the stands said, and I, and I think we were, at, we were at a away game because of what was said. Uh, and I don't remember where we were, but this stuck in my mind. They said, I heard him say, oh, my word. Now, they didn't say, oh, my word. They said something else. They said, oh, my word. Look at the size of those guys. And they are going to kill us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I, now, we were already confident as a team. We already knew we were good. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and, and this wasn't a cocky thing. It wasn't an ego thing. I mean, athletes just know if they're good or not. I mean, they get it. Okay. Yeah. Especially good yeah. athletes. They know they can play. And um, so I remember walking out with them and uh, when I, I was six, four and I, at that time, I weighed two Oh five and I was a tight end and, and I'm thinking and a defensive end and, uh, and I'm thinking they don't have a clue to how good we are. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I own the own, own okay for those who don't know football okay tight end I'm on the very I'm on the I'm on the offensive line but I'm way out there and mm -hmm. I'm not the wide receiver but I'm on the end and I'm the smallest guy okay because mm -hmm. we had six five six six guys weighing 350 375 and they were bench pressing their weight I mean th these guys were just they were monsters and um uh and we played very well and, and I'm saying all of this just because when you know who you are, yeah, there that you have this power and this confidence that takes you to another level. You play differently. You know, mm -hmm. you walk differently. You wear the uniform differently. And I am convinced that this spirit of power, this dynamite power that only comes from the Holy Spirit, it's the same word. Yeah. Uh, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and this power here, <clears throat> I think I'm convinced that one of the reasons why Christians walk around in fear and not in the spirit of power is because they do not know what team they are on. Yeah, you know yeah. they they don't they they don't get it. They don't know who they are in Christ, and I think that is extremely important um, for every believer to overcome a lot of fears and it doesn't mean the fears i mean you still had to face the enemy i mean we, we had the uniform on and we still went out there and played you know and did we get hurt absolutely you know was it tough absolutely uh but uh yeah we've accepted a different definition of meekness right the the biblical definition of meekness is strength under control right it, it's it's like the bit in the mouth of a horse the horse has all the power but we through through training can can tug on the reins and it will turn but we have we've adopted and taken on this definition of meekness is actually weakness like we're supposed to be weak like a, a little lamb and stuff no we're supposed to be strong 
And so, yeah, it, I love that what you were saying. Like, we just don't know whose team we're on. Right. You know? <clears throat> and, and I think because of that, the devil's done a good job at convincing us, you know, we're losers. Uh, all right. So it also says in, instead of having a spirit of timidity or fear, they also have, have the spirit of love. So, um, how does having a spirit of love help us fight against the fear in our life? Yeah. So, I mean, God's commission is, is love, right? To take the gospel into the world. That is love. We, we care about everyone that they would hear the, um, the word of God. And so if, if that's our commission and we, we, we are sold out on that, then we don't have fears of what that person's going to do to us or whatever situation, because we are sold out to that spirit of love and it, it pours out of us. We've all been around people that, man, they're, they just love on people. We call it like Southern hospitality and stuff like that. But a lot of people are genuine in, in this and it affects us. And, and, we can have a bad day, but we call those people that are going to pour into us, love on us. And that's the, that's that power of love. And God's using those people to, to pour into us when we're having a bad day. But that same way, God's love conquers the fears that we have because he loves us. He's already said, I've already done this for you. I've already experienced this. You can trust in me, not in yourself. All right, so when I'm thinking of this, if I understand it correctly, <clears throat> all right, this word love, you know, it's agape, and that's the high-level love, and it means, you know, dedicated, committed, sold out, all in, and I have discovered, at least for me, when I'm all in on something, it doesn't matter what the obstacles are. Nope. You know, it, it, it just doesn't matter. And, um, you know, with God's guidance, I will find a way, you know what I'm saying? And so <clears throat> I do think that when we have a spirit of love operating in us, we are all in on whatever it is God is calling us. And, and there's this mindset, it doesn't matter what happens, even if I'm afraid, I'm still going to move forward. Yeah. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter who shows up on this thing, uh, I, you know, and I don't, I don't mean being mean about it or being arrogant about it. Uh, I mean, you're going to love the people through it and it's a spirit of love. I love, I, I love God and I love people so much that I'm not going to be afraid of what's going to happen, what they're going to think or, or anything else, because mm -hmm. this, this is God has called me to do this and I love him and love people. And it's worth dying for it because here's the deal. Once you've decided in your, in your mind, I am dead to me and alive to Christ. Once you've died, what are you afraid? Of? You're already dead. Yeah. You know? Okay. So there's this old story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I love telling this story. There was a guy broke into a guy's house and he was a Christian the guy in the house. The guy had a gun. He pulled out a gun and he's going to rob him. He said, if you don't give me everything you got, I'm going to kill you. And he said, he says, well, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. <laughs> and the guy goes, what? 
<laughs> the robber says, what? He says, yeah, I'm already dead. You can't kill me. He says, are you crazy? He says, no, I died to myself a long time ago. You might kill this body, but you can't kill me. Mm. And so, but that is true in a lot of ways to where once we die to ourselves, I think, now this is just me thinking out loud here. Okay. I haven't done the research or anything like that, mm. but just logically thinking. If I die to myself, then a lot of the fears I have about myself die with it. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm loving God and I'm loving others, the only really agape love God and love others is that you're going to have to die to yourself. Yeah. You've got to get self out of there, yeah. you know, because now you're going to love others as you love yourself and that's not a selfish kind. So anyway, so now all of a sudden we have, if we've got the spirit of power, this confidence in who we are in Christ, the team we're on, uh, if we've got the spirit of love that's going on, I mean, we're committed, we're all in, you know what I'm saying? No matter what happens, we die to ourselves. we're all in, it doesn't matter. Uh, and then we add this last aspect, the spirit of self-discipline, mm. all right, uh, which carries the meaning of a secure and sound mind, you know, it's it's basically a sober, some translates say sober mind. And mm. uh, this is really about rational thinking. So, all right. So how does this self-discipline, the sober mind, this rational thinking help protect us from fear or help us to move through fear? Yeah. Self-discipline. It's kind of like, you know, garbage in garbage out, right? If we're disciplining what goes on in our life, what we are putting into our life, that's the result that's coming out. And so if we're disciplining ourselves to to focus on God, then we're, those fears are going to be diminished. Um, and, and like you were saying um, about the spirit of love, you know, it's, we've counted the cost. We've disciplined ourselves and said, you know what, whatever comes, we're all good rather than going into it and then seeing all the fears and obstacles and, and getting afraid of those. We're saying, no, it's all worth it. And so we're going to go. And so I think self-disciplining you know, so my son is, my oldest son is running cross track right now. And he realized that he did not have much self-discipline between cross country season and track season. He oh. didn't do winter sports. And so he's having to discipline himself. And he was like, Oh, I'll drink soda up until this point, And then I, you know, I'll, I'll stay off of it. But it's like as he's zeroing in on what he wants, he's cutting out more and more stuff in his life in order to be so straight towards the goal he wants. Everything else he's counted and said, that's not worth me putting into my life. And so, yeah, that spirit of self-discipline, as we grow closer to God, then the other stuff just kind of melts away. Like we're, we're saying God is worth it or or what God is wanting to do. So these fears that I've put in, I don't see those. All right. Well, okay, man, I cannot believe. I think we're over an hour. I think we're over an hour oh, and so, from the time we started. So we need to wrap this up, but man. Uh, all right. So those who are listening, man, I hope this has been helpful to you. Um, you know, just to think through your fears and what the Bible has to say and uh, you know, we're all growing emotionally and we all have fears and, uh, we're all broken in some way. And, uh, despite whatever you are afraid of, whether it's rational or irrational, God still loves you. People still like you. You still got 
friends in your life and, um, you know, just grow, just, you know, you're human and God knows that. Um, and that's why he has a lot to say about fear, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, we just, we're learning how to walk by faith and trust him. And even in the spite of fear, uh, you know, and sometimes we have to do things that we're afraid to do. And that's called boldness. That's called yeah. courage. I mean, you cannot have boldness and courage if you don't have fear, because if you don't have fear, it's not bold. You're not doing anything bold. You're not doing anything courageous. Uh, uh, so uh, that's a whole nother podcast for another day. <laughs> All right, Preston, we're going to wrap it up, man. I appreciate you joining us again. We'll have you back. Uh, uh, you bring a lot to the table. I love it. And, uh, and you know, you're a, uh, you're a good communicator. So, uh, and that uh, puts you on the A-list, man. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. It's been fun. Yep. Thank you for listening. This has been Conversations. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to click subscribe and leave us a great review. And to find out more about Genesis Church, please visit www.genesisbegins.com.